What is the science of reading? What are leaders doing to accelerate reading achievement? We answer these questions and more in Science of Reading Leadership, Guiding Minds, Transforming Lives, powered by Just Right Reader. We are thrilled today to have Dr. Laura Tortorelli with us here on the podcast. Laura is an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University. Her scholarship focuses on who teachers teach and how they teach children to read, with a focus on bridging the divides between research and practice. Drawing on developmental perspectives and critical quantitative inquiry, her research investigates the tests text and technology that shape reading instruction in elementary classrooms and the impact of these tools on readers who have been labeled as struggling. Tortorelli has been awarded multiple awards and been published in a variety of reading journals. She is actively involved in statewide literacy initiatives in Michigan, including training state literacy coaches on the literacy essentials and collaborating with Wright to develop online modules on phonological awareness and letter sound relationships. Dr. Tortorelli, welcome. We are thrilled and so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we are so excited. So this is the first question I really want to know. I always want to ask this question to all of the researchers and people that we get to talk to. What is it that got you into the field of education? Oh, okay. Well, I loved reading when I grew up. That was my favorite thing to do. I was the kid who got in trouble for reading during math and social studies time, you know, with that, I had like a little Nancy Drew book at my desk. Um, <clears throat> and so I thought for a long time that that meant that I should be a writer, that I should write my own books. And so I studied creative writing um, in high school and college. And um, I even went to graduate school to become, uh, to get an MFA in creative writing um, for a while. And so while I was doing that, though, I, it turns out that that's not very that I needed a side job. And so I started teaching creative writing classes um, to young kids in school in after school programs all over New York City, actually. I was like taking the subway around to different schools in Queens and teaching kids to um, to write poetry. And I realized that um, that to write, they really needed to spend a lot of time reading, right? And that they needed to have and they loved it. They absolutely loved writing their own poetry, but um, but they also needed they needed like to be able to engage with that text. They needed the model of all the different types of things. And I just realized that I didn't want to create my own books. I wanted to work with kids and supporting them and teaching them how to access all the literature that had been so meaningful to me. So um, it was sort of a, a, it wasn't a last minute shift. I, I was working with kids and I did, you know, study education in undergrad as well. But um, but I'd always thought I would teach writing. And I realized that write, read, teaching reading is really fundamental. And so I, I went back and got my degree in um, teaching reading because I realized that was what I wanted to do. I love that. I had no idea. We've gotten <laughs> to talk with Dr. Tortorelli quite a bit. And I did not know that story. I love that. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> So, Laura, one of the reasons we love chatting with you is because you really have um, this expertise in kind of the intermediate grades. Um, we, we talk a lot when we talk about the science of reading with um, pre-K through second, a lot of the foundational grades. And we'd love just to talk to, more, talk to you more about that third through fifth. Mm -hmm. And so what should be happening in third through fifth grade classrooms as far as good reading instruction goes? Yeah. So I, um, I also, you know, started out looking at, you know, what's happening in kindergarten and first grade, um, and was very interested in that. But I actually, I think that the science of reading, um, discussion sometimes minimizes how, like, 
what needs to happen after that. I think we, we often talk about is if we just get everything right in kindergarten and first grade, then it's going to be taken care of and they're going to be good for the rest of their reading careers. But that's not actually what we see. What we see is that um, texts that children need to read um, in each grade level increase in difficulty quite a bit um, from grade level to grade level. So they need continued support and instruction. It's not just about that like light bulb moment where they figure out the letters make the sounds and the words, although that's incredibly important. Um, but to con they actually need continued practice and support in developing their reading skills throughout the elementary grades. And I mean, I would argue beyond too, although that's not my area of expertise. Um, and so that includes um, teaching kids to read multisyllabic words, um, not just, you know, multisyllabic words are more complicated. They, use, they draw on the same phonic skills they've been learning, but they involve more complicated things like stress patterns and schwas and that kind of thing. Um, but also they it, supporting kids in reading um, uh, more complex um, syntax, right, and more complex structured texts. Um, and particularly providing a lot of those supports around informational text is what my research has been focused on the past, the past few years. Oh, wow. That's great. Now, um, with that same thought in mind, I know that you've done a lot of research concerning reading fluency, right? When we think about informational text and reread and doing it again and making sure we understand all of the nuances that are a part of informational text. Um, what should we be doing as it relates to fluency? Mm -hmm. What should districts be focusing on as it relates to fluency? And, and really, um, what can we do to improve fluency if that's something you've found is important? Absolutely. That's another thing I would, uh, that is, is that once children do develop those phonic skills, they need lots and lots of practice reading texts to develop their reading fluency. And that's a big transition between in, that happens ideally in first and second grade so that they come into third grade, feel it with pretty fluent reading skills. But if they don't, that's a major area of focus. Um, and so my research really focused on how kids need additional support for reading fluency in informational text. So, um, and so what I would say is that um, when I started my, this line of research, my concern was that um, fluency was being taught as sort of a separate part of like sort of a separate part of the curriculum, right? You had your fluency passages and you would read the same passage yeah. multiple times and try to get faster. And then and um, sometimes yeah. kids were going home with stopwatches and everything. Um, and so that that's okay. Like repeated reading is a research-based uh, inst instructional technique. I would say that what we want is kids to read and reread um, a wide range of texts, not just <laughs> like the prepackaged fluency passages. Um, and we also want them to be reading for meaning, right? So um, the recent IES practice guide that focused on interventions for fourth through eighth grade um, really highlights that repeated readings should have a purpose for each reading. Right. The first time you're reading, you might be trying to, you know, just reading to get the gist. The second time you might identify main ideas and details. The third time you might be reading because to plan a response, right, to write or, or something like that. But that there's a reason to reread. Um, and in fact, as a an adult reader, we do that. Right. If we want to read, we go back and reread something because we are sure we want to clarify. We enjoyed it. We're going to use it. We're going to cite it in something we're reading. So um, giving them, you know, lots of opportunities to develop fluency in different types of texts and then um, purposes, purposeful rereading, not just rereading to read faster each time. I. 
and I know that Christy's going to jump in and say this, but I love the point you were just making because situational fluency, I think also we need to be considering the fact that sometimes you will read a narrative text quite quickly and your, you know, fluency number might be high, <laughs> right? Uh, but when we're reading informational text, the fluency number might be slower and helping them to understand that the okayness of that. Yeah, that's actually really one of my important. first research studies that I did as a, when I, when I was building towards my dissertation was looking at um, how quickly um, lar like a large database, statewide database of students read informational text. And it was, it was slower than the published benchmarks for, you know, what typically are narrative or mixed texts. Um, but their comprehension level was the same. And in fact, the kids who were the strongest readers slowed down the most relative to those, those benchmarks, indicating that they're paying attention to the text features that, and, and slowing down and make processing the new information, which is actually a good thing and what we want them to be doing. I, yeah, sorry, my mind is kind of reeling now. Um, so when we think about fluency, because I think this maybe is a misunderstood area sometimes when we talk about all of the prongs of literacy. Um, and so when you think about the proper way to teach fluency and the proper measures to even be gleaning from fluency assessments, what do you think needs to change in either teacher preparation or district PD for teachers so that they are looking at fluency correctly um, and teaching fluency correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so um, one of the things, you know, I work in teacher preparation. I work in yeah. like a, a, one of the, a very highly ranked large teacher prep program. And so this is something that I've been thinking about. Um, and so one of the things that, <clears throat> I, that I think is really important is that we, that we, Think about the different types of fluency supports and make sure that teachers are familiar with all of them, right? Um, it's not just having kids reread a text to themselves that builds fluency, but there's also, um, there's modeling is part of fluency, um, modeling a fluent reading of the text. There is um, echo reading, choral reading, partner reading, whisper reading, those are, that's a continuum of support. Mm. Um, and so you can have kids working on a, a, a fluency text with different levels of support, either on different days or differentiated by where, what they need. And so really thinking about how that fluency support exists to help kids access texts that might be too difficult for them to read on their own. Um, I think there's this idea that, that they need to just go off and read them by themselves and then reread by themselves and then reread. But, but like, in fact, what we kids need support um, to build that fluency. Um, so really making sure that they have a, that teachers have like this tool belt of <laughs> fluency strategies, not just one, um, I think is a big part of that. Um, and then the other part is um, making sure that um, that kids get support and feedback during their fluent. Like it, we don't want them to just reread the text by themselves, right? We want them to, if they come to a word they don't know, slow down and, and figure it out um, and get support for doing that and not just like blast through the words and make their best guess. Would Would you say then too, with those, with that um, range of tools for fluency, is that also if you are doing a choral reading and then you were doing a whisper reading, you should have different purposes for those two. The point, the purpose is not just to reread within mm -hmm. those who are still using that new purpose. Is that yes, correct? Yes. Yeah. You have a, you might have a purpose for reading the text and also the level, she was a level of support for those students at that time for that reading. Excellent. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So, um, 
I want to stay here just a little bit longer because I want to know how we choose the text that we put in front of our students, right? Mm -hmm. How do we make those wise, intentional decisions about the text? Mm -hmm. Well, and so that's a really great question because, again, um, there are programs that have picked fluency passages, but Mm -hmm. we want to to make sure that they develop fluency in a a range of texts. And so what I would say is the ideal text for fluency practice would be one that's a little bit challenging, right? It's not too easy. Um, You don't want it to be something where they are stuck on every word. But if you're going to be there to provide that fluency support, then reading something that's challenging with that support is actually an opportunity for growth. So so you want a mix of narrative and informational texts. um, And you also want to make sure that there are new words that they're encountering and there are new text structures that they're encountering in those those pieces that they're reading with your support. Because that's an opportunity to read something that they wouldn't necessarily go off and read independently. Um, and, And grappling with that more difficult text is part of how they grow. Um, also, when I was teaching, I love to do poetry for fluency oh, yeah. um, because oh, yes. it just naturally supports that expression and prosody, which is something that we often right. leave out when we think prosody. about developing reading fluency. Um, so the poetry, the, uh, I, I, there are a lot of like very funny Shel Silverstein poems and things like that, um, some of which are quite long that I used to use with my classes to help um, build their reading fluency because it was fun to reread them. They were funny, yeah, right? Um, and then also there were they, that really provided them with support for thinking about like the rhythm and intonation of the text. This was eye-opening for me. <laughs> I feel like um, we haven't talked enough about fluency. And so, and I especially love the focus on third through fifth, because again, we have that focus so often on the early elementary grades, which we know are obviously important, but I love being able to focus on intermediate. This episode is brought to you by Just Right Reader. Extend phonics instruction, strengthen school-home partnerships, and accelerate reading achievement with take-home decodable packs from Just Right Reader. Personalized take-home packs make phonics fun and accessible for families. Every book comes with a video phonics lesson and writing pages to help readers reinforce their decoding and writing skills. To learn more, visit JustRightReader.com. You you mentioned and talked about um, every time we have a purpose. And one of the purposes that I heard you leading into is now we're going to use this to cite or we're going to use this to go into something. So can you talk to us about the purpose of even reading and now taking that into writing? What do you want us to understand about writing? Is it important to teach along with reading? What should they be doing, leaders, to ensure that good quality writing instruction is happening in our buildings? Talk to us a little bit about the whole yeah, writing. Well, so there's a couple of different things that um, that we need to think about when we're thinking about writing instruction. Um, obviously, writing for itself is really important. And we want to give kids opportunities to write every day and make sure that they are, are writing every day and developing those writing skills. And we want to give them explicit instruction in teaching and in writing different genres. Um, but something that I, I, but, um, something that I think is overlooked sometimes is that writing is also a comprehension strategy, 
having children, there's a lot of research evidence that having children write in response to things they read um, solidifies their understanding of the text and helps them learn information from that text. Um, there's tons and tons of like meta-analyses on this. And so writing is important in its own right. Um, in my work, I tend to think of it as a comprehension supporting strategy, though, um, because it, there is so much evidence for those two th- for that. And um, re- writing and reading really support each other. And so when they are done together, you have a lot of benefits because you get a, a mentor text, right? They've just read something that shows you an example of what this kind of text looks and writing in response to it, either writing um, an opinion about what you just read or um, writing an, you know, a, a writing um, an alternative ending to a story or writing your own informational passage, like pulling on the new facts you've learned, any sort of thing like like that helps you understand the text better and also helps you advance your writing skills. So doing those two things together is actually really important. And I, I just uh, published a study this year with my colleague, Adria Truckenmiller, that looked at how children um, write in response to reading. Um, and basically what we found was that if you don't like the writing, the reading um, of the pat, their reading fluency of the passages really impacts how well they are able to respond in writing, right? Which makes sense, right? If you aren't able to read a passage um, and have a really good, um, thoughtful, you know, engagement with that passage, writing in response to it is going to be fairly weak. And so, really strengthening those two systems together is something that can put, that can um, help kids in third through fifth grade strengthen the whole communicative system. Um, and oftentimes there are like a lot, you know, we tell kids to write. We, te- we say we're teaching kids to write, but we're really just telling them to write. And so writing in response to reading um, is way to, a way to structure that and give them a little bit more support. Laura, are there any types of constructed responses? I know you mentioned kind of opinion or alternative endings. Are there any types of um, writing prompts that support struggling readers especially? Um, Or is it kind of the same across the board? So there are uh, basically giving children time to plan and an organized structure for planning is what's most helpful for people who are struggling writers. Um, And and so... um, for example, the TIDE organizer, and I'm going to forget what it stands for. It's uh, topic, ideas, details, and ending. Um, and then there's a there's one that's called race. Yeah. That's good, too. I can't remember what it stands for now. Uh, Restate the question, answer the question, right. cite evidence, and explain. Exactly. Um, so giving them opportunities to plan out what they're going to write. Um, is a really good way to support them because oftentimes they get kind of overwhelmed when they're staring at the blank page and they don't know what to do. Um, and so kind of, uh, so so sort of uh, taking a minute to plan out what you're going to write is very helpful. Sometimes using a graphic organizer to do that planning can be helpful. Um, and then also for kids who are even or a little bit younger or who are really struggling to get started, sentence frames are something mm. that, that I always recommend is that if you to, using those to direct them and have them focus in on the content that you want them to write rather than, you know, trying to figure out how to start the sentence um, or things that can offer more support. Those are great scaffolding ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about that. Um, sentence frame. Um, I've um, I've seen a lot of younger um, classroom teachers who are doing that in their classroom to kind of give that 
framework for what paragraphs look like. And I, I, I want to get your feedback on how you feel like that would impact struggling writers who are in grades three through five, right? Is that a good strategy or is that still too much scaffolding and should be left in the lower grades? What are your thoughts So it on really depends um, on your goal for that writing. Um, if your goal is to help them work on sentence construction, um, then the sentence frames kind of take, provide too much support. Uh, but for, I, I'm working with a doc student right now who's trying to get students to write about, uh, you know, their social, their, like the, about the emotion vocabulary, right? They're having, um, you know, really get at their emotional response to the text. And so she's using sentence frames even in fifth grade so that she's directing them to talk about the things that she wants to talk, you know, so that she's taking the pressure off of them um, to figure out how to say what she's asking. And she they can just focus on the content, which is their emotional response to the story. So I think it really depends on the goal of your lesson. If you're, the goal is to um, kind of get them to express themselves without, a lot of pressure, then those sentence frames can be helpful. They can be, and you can just include them as optional. Um, for students who don't want to use them, that's fine. But um, if your goal is to really help them, you know, build, construct a, a good sentence, then of course you'll want to take that away and actually just walk them through that process. Laura, what about vocabulary for our intermediate students? Um, have you either done any research on vocabulary or obviously I'm sure you're aware of, of vocabulary. Tell us about the importance of that in the intermediate classroom. Actually, so this is one of the things that I think is most fascinating about this intermediate grades, uh, the, the intermediate grades, because what's happening is when kids are first learning to read, they are encountering words and texts that they already know in their oral language. They just haven't seen them in print before. So the task in front of them is just to figure out how to decode that word and like match it to a word that they already know. Usually there's a, there's some exceptions, but um, usually that's what's happening. And so reading really is a decoding task in those early grades because they're reading books that are not you know, do not have, like, have very familiar vocabulary, do not have big, big long words in them, do not have unfamiliar words in them. Um, and so they are learning how to decipher those words. Around third grade, um, things really change because they're going to be reading more and more texts that introduce brand new vocabulary. And That's we're actually starting point. to expect them to learn new vocabulary from their reading. Um, and so that's a big shift. Um, and they're not just able to like, so, you know, when we think about the multisyllabic decoding piece, you want to teach them how to decode the word and match it to a word that they know. And one of the steps is figuring out if it sounds right. But then they might still might not know it, right? It still might be a brand new word <laughs> that they haven't seen before. And actually, a lot of these words um, are words that are related to words that they know, mm -hmm. but are derived forms, which means that you've added suffixes that change it, change its part of speech um, into a whole of different words. So, um, for example, the word adore and the word adorable are two different parts of speech, right? You've taken a verb and turned it into uh, into an adjective. And so they actually have to pay attention to all the word parts. Um, if you've ever listened to one, a kid this age read um, who is not paying close attention, you'll notice that they substitute <laughs> words left and right. Um, like they'll get most, and like even, in, in a, you know, even not paying attention to the part of speech, right? Like just saying like um, adore instead of adorable. And like, 
either they notice that that messes up the sentence and so they start trying to change all the other words in the sentence to make it match <laughs> or they don't notice and then the sentence is just world word salad. So um, basically making them pay attention to all the parts of the word um, and then thinking about morphology, right? Like how those parts, those word parts change the meaning of the word um, is a really important focus in the third through fifth grade. And that helps them not only with decoding, but also with vocabulary. Those two things sort of merge into one. Um, but also they need to be able to use context clues. Sure. Um, some The problem with that is that like sometimes they're stronger than others. It just depends on the word, right? Um, and so, but really merging those two strategies, um, looking at all the word parts, thinking about the word parts, and then thinking about the context, what you can learn from the context, um, and making sure you're taking the time to slow down and do that when you're reading new words, encountering new words and texts is, um, is really, becomes really important in these upper grades because they are encountering new vocabulary and uh, they can learn a lot of great vocabulary from reading if they have those strategies to slow down and pay attention. I love this. I love this. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my girls. She's 14 and she's a freshman in high school. And we were reading a sentence and the word was mediation. And as she read it, she said meditation. And so she was completely like, she wasn't thrown because she knows the word meditation. She knows what that means. But when we got to the comprehension question, she got it wrong because she misunderstood the, 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 the text. And so we went back and I said, well, what is that word? And three times she said meditation. And finally I said to her, let's break this word down. I, cause I would, I refuse to tell her the word because I need her to see all of the parts of the word. And I said, now, do what we used to do when we were in first grade, <laughs> break down the word, right? Break it down. And she went, oh, mediation. I said, do you see how just the simple seeing the word as a block, as opposed to seeing each part of the oh, word can yeah. change the complete meaning of the word. And so everything you said was fantastic. Yeah, um, that, those, so that's a tricky one. Those are very close, but you do have to pay attention to every letter in the word or you get, or you can get, you get the wrong word, right? Um, and it does really, it, it does throw off your comprehension of the text. Um, and, and, and it also helps, um, paying attention to every, to all the parts also really helps with your spelling, right? Um, when you had, if she had to go write mediation, um, I bet she would be, much better prepared to spell it correctly, having done that work with you, than if she had just sort of figured it out, but like not paid close attention and moved on in the text. So um, there's actually quite a bit of research about paying attention to all those spelling patterns, both for reading and uh, and for spelling. You just so perfectly summed up the connection for our intermediate students between encoding, decoding, syllable work, morphology, <laughs> context clues, like you just put everything together in, in an example. And so I, I hope our listeners appreciate that as much as Terry and I are here <laughs> appreciating it. Well, I think that I think that is one of the challenges in the upper grades is that um, in the younger grades, sometimes you have like a separate program for phonemic awareness and a separate right. program for phonics and a separate program for fluency and a separate program for vocabulary. Right. And it really, I, I'm not sure that some, I, I think that those could be better integrated at all grade levels, but particularly in the upper grade levels, it doesn't really make sense, right? Because the same words you're having trouble decoding are the same words you're having trouble spelling, which are the same new vocabulary words you need to be learning. And so all of these things uh, really need to come 
together to support comprehension of what you're reading. Um, and so it's, it's the, like having separate times or programs or approaches for all those things, um, is fine, but it does need to come together and kids need to learn yeah. how to use all their skills simultaneously to make sense of the text. Absolutely. And then we start throwing in there all of these French words and Spanish words and <laughs> it, it's like all of it just comes together. And, and with that in mind, what do teachers need to be taught in order to be successful in the classroom? So um, they need to be taught that, you know, evidence-based practices for all of these things, um, for, you know, fluency, for multisyllabic coding, for vocabulary. Um, but they also need practice supporting kids in reading. I think there's this idea that because these older kids can read silently and independently a lot of the time, that that's what they should be doing all of the time, right? That we give them a book to read and they go off and read it and then we come back and talk about it. But actually teachers need to be listening to kids read at this age, especially pre-service teachers. I, I make them listen to kids read a lot um, and, and intervening and being there to provide that helpful support when they come to a word they don't know or, um, you know, black, you know, need to go back and get some fluent reread with some fluency support. Um, so they need opportunities to actually listen to these kids read. Um, just because a kid can read silently doesn't mean that like that's what they should be doing all the time right. in the classroom. So every time we have uh, our podcast, we always ask one specific question. And that question is, what are two things that leaders can do to accelerate reading achievement? So uh, the first thing that we can do is make sure that we have high quality uh, word level instruction. I know that every this is something that we've been talking about a ton during the science of reading, but making sure that teachers have the materials that they need to do that, right? Um, so not just telling them to teach phonics, um, but giving them high quality instructional materials and programs that they can work from so that they don't have to make up all their own phonics lessons um, and making sure that there is um, time to do that every day throughout the grade level. So in the beginning levels, focusing on alphabet knowledge and beginning phonics instruction, but continuing that work, focusing on multisyllabic decoding and morphology as they go up through the upper grades. So that's that's one piece. But that piece is only good if they also have opportunities to practice using those skills in texts, high quality, culturally responsive texts that the kids find engaging um, throughout the day. And this doesn't mean independent reading time. This can be scaffolded reading for time. This can be with fluency support. This can be to support a writing assignment, but just making sure that they have opportunities to apply what they're learning in their word level instruction to in high quality text throughout the day for many different purposes. So I would say those are the, the two main things. Thank you so much. We have just been truly overjoyed to have you. And I know that Terry and I have had our minds blown a little bit just with the, the way that you so succinctly are able to connect all of the facets of reading instruction in your examples. And so we just want to thank you so much for sharing that with us and sharing that with our listeners. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thanks for joining us. If you found this conversation valuable, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next time on Science of Reading Leadership, Guiding Minds, Transforming Lives.